0: and welcome everyone to another exciting episode here at Abdulis and Drunkards. I'm Mr. Panda.
1: And I'm Rockstar.
0: This is the podcast where the pool is closed.
1: Forever.
0: To kick things off, we have, of course, some current events that we're going to go through with you very quick. You've all undoubtedly heard about the controversy surrounding that Nike meme featuring a certain notorious football player and the words... Just do it. That's what we're going to briefly touch on. Because, oh my word, there are some fantastic memes coming out of this Nike ad.
1: My favorite is Lucy from This Enchantment. Do it! Do it! Do it! Do it! Do it!
0: My personal favorite, besides the one that we made ourselves for Idion, because you just gotta work in an Idion meme at some point. My personal favorite was the Full Metal Alchemist one. Sacrifice everything.
1: And the other favorite is Thanos. Well, that's only because he sacrificed
0: half of everything. (laughs) Just half. Next up in current events, we have Funimation's announcement that they are adding the next season of Phoenix Wright to their Simuldub lineup. Always a very exciting time, especially if you are a fan of the show or of the game even. Phoenix Wright coming to you with Simuldub. The next thing that I want to mention is Perfect Blues 20th Anniversary from Fathom Events has come to an end. You had two chances to see it, one subbed and one dub. Both have now passed. I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater because they weren't showing it anywhere near me. But I do own my own DVD copy, so I did rewatch Perfect Flu in honor of the 20th anniversary. Such a magnificent film. One of Satoshi Khan's great and, interestingly, still has quite a bit of relevance in today's community. If you haven't had the chance to watch it, if you missed your chance to see it at one of the theaters nearby in your own community, I encourage you to look it up. You can probably still find a copy of it somewhere, though I think it might technically be out of print at this point. Another thing that's new in the current event lineup is we've got a teaser trailer for Shira and the Princess of Power which looks very exciting, so make sure that you check it out. Just Google it. And another teaser coming out from Netflix for BoJack Horseman Season 5, which is going to premiere on Netflix Friday, September 14th, which we're all very excited about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about later in the podcast. Yes, we will. Finally, some updates to our convention schedule. Now, we just went to ColossalCon East this past weekend, which we're going to be diving into in just a minute here. But we finally can tell you, that the final con in our planned lineup at this time for 2018 is DerpyCon. Woohoo! Yay! Which I believe is going to, the dates for that are the 9th through the 11th, if I recall correctly. The second weekend in November, the week after BonsaiCon. So that's held in Morristown, New Jersey. Not only is it very well situated for you to come, if you're in the New York or the New Jersey or the Eastern Pennsylvania area. There is mass transit accommodation to Morristown. There's also some fantastic food. One of the best selling points of the con as far as its location goes, is the food. I'm really excited to start eating Raul's empanadas oh. once again. Or or the sweet plantains. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> Morristown in general has a lot of really interesting food places that you should check out if you're going to join us at DerbyCon, which you should. You can still pre-register, but even if you're only going to show up for a day and just come in and register, uh, do note that in the past, DerbyCon has run out of daily badges at certain points, so it's best to pre-register.
1: Oh, and as a note for cosplayers, if you're doing any realistic guns, Jersey has weird rules about their prop guns. You can't just have it orange-tipped. You have to have it, uh, what is the exact colors? Orange, like, neon orange? Really,
0: they just want you to not carry around a matte black prop gun. They're illegal in Jersey.
1: Just be very careful.
0: And that brings us to the first piece of meat here at the podcast. We're going to be talking about Colossal Con East. <laughs> Situated at the Kalahari Resort up in Mount Pocono, which is bigger, better, and badder than its competing sister locations over in Ohio or perhaps even in... I don't even remember where the other one is. I think Wisconsin. To kick things off, we're going to be talking about our personal experience with Colossal Con East. The positives, the negatives, if any. And what the future might hold for this wonderful event. At least, I'm going to just tilt my hand and say the wonderful event. Rockstar, what were your impressions at Colossalcon East?
1: Well, this was my first Colossal Con East. I don't know. I absolutely loved it. I had a ball. Everybody there was very friendly. Of course, how could you say no to a hotel slash water park area? Like, that's just fun. I mean, especially if you went to after hours and sat in the hot tub. Oh, amazing. It was great. And I don't know. I've always liked the Pocono areas but never get to go even though we're like literally an hour away from it. So it was nice to be up there with the people, and I i don't know, I thought it was a very nice con. The only thing is I now have con plague. So Of course you
0: do.
1: Uh, <laughs> It's not the first. I, I, I'm very easy to get Conflake, aren't I?
0: All the bacteria oh, in the water, not enough chlorine.
1: Hopefully I'll get over it soon, but yeah, I have Conflake.
0: Now for me, this is my second Colossal Con East. I managed to spend a little bit more time interacting socially with people, Because most of the team was already there, so we actually were able to coordinate with the table a little bit better between events. And then once the dealers room shut down and we didn't have to be at our table anymore, woohoo, doing what we do best.
1: Yeah, I happen to think that our panels went off without a hitch this year. It was really good.
0: Everything was pretty straightforward for the most part. In fact, speaking about our panels, uh, in my opinion... now. I'm going to put in the caveat here because I wasn't physically present for every single panel because we had to balance some um, mm-hmm. staffing on the table. So in particular on Sunday, I didn't, I didn't actually see either of the panels on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But uh, out of the ones I was physically present for, Euron and you should feel that I think went over the best. It was the most well attended. It went off considerably well considering uh, how much um, fluid I was ingesting. And I was
1: yeah, you were sounding a bit like Rick by the end of that.
0: A little too much like Rick. That wasn't even related. <laughs> yeah. I was I was just, I just had blowback from like the, the grilled cheese sandwich I had eaten.
1: Oh, it was perfect.
0: My understanding is our most well attended panel was David Bowie, a rock and roll space invader from Japan, which mm-hmm. isn't a huge surprise. It's one of our newest panels. And offers a subject matter that no one's really touched on yet. So it's something new. It's shiny. And happily, people on Sunday aren't as obsessed with the water park or drinking at that point, we hope. So the moment they get out of their uh, hotel move-out phase, they're actually willing to sit down at a panel. So I actually think Sunday um, has a slight uptick in potential panel attendance. Overall, if you, especially on Friday, before a lot of the people get there for the event, panel attendance... Doesn't really approach capacity. And that can be a little bit uh, off putting for a lot of panelists. Um, from other ones that I've talked to who were performing at ColossalCon East, they had a little bit of concern about, well, you know, what's happening? What's wrong? Are we doing something wrong? Keep in mind that with ColossalCon East, it has all the potential of ColossalCon Prime. But the difficulty is it takes time to get people to come to the event, it takes time to build up the momentum to get all those people there it's not going to be like Colossal Con Prime where everyone expects 17,000 people to show up the first year that's something that's going to be down the road and the best part about it is whenever they get in range of that number there are more rooms at this Kalahari than the one that uh, is out in Ohio so there will be fewer people complaining about not being able to get a room
1: Oh, and not only that, but it looks like they're expanding the convention center too. They already have all the construction and everything, so the convention center part of it's going to get bigger, and they're adding more parking. Thank God.
0: Well, you haven't ad- well prop more. They have to. They just have to. Uh-huh. You haven't seen uh colossal con primes location. No, I haven't. But if it's anything like that, even if it's not larger. Even though we already know the water park at the Mount Pocono location is larger, I expect uh, in terms of pure square footage, I think that they're planning to make the Pocono location larger in the convention center as well. But even if it wasn't, the convention center at the Ohio location is just huge. It's think of that wing and then add on an exact duplicate of that and a half. There's a lot of room and several hallways that you can potentially get lost down if you're not careful it could be a little hard to find a room at times. But
1: I would even go to this Kalahari even if there wasn't a convention in it. Well,
0: the arcade and, is sweet.
1: Uh I I mentioned that because I've been to the, their competitor, the Great Wolf Lodge. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's up there. I've been up to that and it is not as impressive impressive as the Kalahari at all. It, there is no match. So, uh, if I ever wanted to just take a mini vacation, I'd be like, hook, hook me up with the Kalahari and I would go there rather than go back to the Great Wolf Lodge.
0: Peasant, you can't afford the Kalahari for a weekend.
1: Thanks, Panda.
0: You're welcome.
1: Here's where I could, you know, like, give, wh- give you a slam on the salary you pay me, but then, you know.
0: I pay you above <laughs> adequate compensation.
1: Well, you're the one calling your employee a peasant, now, aren't you?
0: Don't you know employment is all about the rich exploiting the peasants? That's the history of capitalism.
1: You remember how we were talking about how we were going to talk about controversial topics? Maybe we should get off of this one (laughs) and back to the con.
0: And we had a good time hanging out with some of the other panelists, both uh, Individuals and Panelists United, a couple other of the guest presenters. Uh, we got to hang out with Charles Dunbar, of course, the anime anthropologist. Overall, a very good and positive experience at Colossal mm-hmm. East. And the sales weren't even half bad. We got to premiere a bunch of new t-shirts, some new stickers, which uh, I may or may not flash up over here so that you can see them. I haven't decided. Now, of course, no experience is universal And there's always little hitches that come up from time to time with every convention. But the one that we're going to dive into here is something that happened mostly on Sunday. Though it seems like it might be tied to a few things that happened on Saturday as well. If you haven't already heard about this, Sunday afternoon, round about 1 p.m., the water park portion of the Kalahari apparently, and this is by report, not by our personal experience, but reportedly began barring and ejecting certain cosplayers from the water park area who were engaged in photo shoots. Also, focusing and targeting photographers who had significant amounts of equipment that were obviously there to take photos. Now, initially, this was just one or two things f- flittering around the Twitter, but the more time has passed since Sunday, the more it seems like these reports are potentially accurate. Now, at the time of this recording... Colossal counties had already responded and had been asking for reports, and stories, any pictures of what had happened, and they are going to take all the data that are available from the people who are reporting these things, and then after they have conducted that investigation, they're going to get with the Kalahari and see what happened. And the reports have taken many different forms. We've heard photographers alone being targeted. We've heard anyone with a camera being kicked out, some people with just wigs being kicked out. One person reported that she was kicked out specifically because she had props with her, even though it consisted of a fake wine glass and a rose.
1: Mind you, the fake wine glass was plastic, so it would have been just like any of the Kalahari official uh plastic cups that they use for their alcohol. So not like a fake glass wine cup.
0: And the response to this incident has been mostly negative for those who are commenting on it at all. You see a lot of people expressing anger and frustration, not just the cosplayers and the photographers themselves, though they in particular uh, have been very vocal if they were affected by this because several of them purchased a badge specifically to do photo shoots. And then, of course, they weren't able to collect on those photo shoots from their clients. So if you were scheduling that anywhere between noon or after, it seems like some people are reporting that the Kalahari was, in some cases, was specifically telling them that at 1 p.m. their obligation to Colossal Con East ended, and so they didn't have to have the cosplayers in there anymore. Seems to be what some people have said.
1: The other reports are that one mother who did end up tweeting out something and ended up deleting that tweet was the cause of it all, stating that people were too risque for her young children. So some people are reporting that, are, that it was Normie's who alerted the Kalahari Resort and asked for all cosplayers to be removed.
0: This is also tied to an incident that was reported for Saturday night, where a photographer who was taking some photos had a splashing incident with a young child, and then got into a verbal sparring match with the parent. So it seems like a lot of people are under the impression that the normies in the pool, who weren't there for, as part of the convention, complained enough to get the Kalahari and security to do something about all the people. Another important footnote in this issue is that prior to the convention, the Kalahari actually contacted all the guests who had a booking for the Colossicon East weekend and informed them that Colossicon East, a very specialized event, was going to be occurring, and people were given the option to book for another time if it bothered them. Now, I don't think that wholesale excuses anything that photographers and cosplayers might do. However, if the issue does mostly come down to the complaints of patrons being annoyed at what they're doing or that there's photography going on and things like that.
1: Or that there's people in weird swimsuits. Because to be fair, it's not like the cosplay swimsuits are any different than normal swimsuits, but let's just, you know, give the normies the benefit of the doubt that they might not see what looks like to be a cosplay swimsuit.
0: To that extent, I think that's at least one mitigating factor in favor of the complainers, from the cosplay community in that, well, you were told that there was going to be this kind of stuff going on that weekend. Now, there is another aspect of the response here, and that this comes from people who are both just in general having fun and those who also have negative opinions about what happened. And that is, we've seen the revival of all sorts of fun memes talking about cosplayers in the water park. And my personal favorite note in this little subchapter here is the revival of old memes. My favorite has been the revival of the old pools closed. It's gotten so interesting because not only are we just seeing reposts of old Habo Hotel memes, but there is now a Habo Hotel meetup event that's been scheduled for the expected date of next year's Colossal Con East. On Saturday night into Sunday. So that'll be interesting to see if that even happens. Of course. Entirely. It could also just be shit posting. Which is the most likely explanation to be perfectly honest. But I would be I would be very enthused to see a have a hotel meet up at the pool. And then they just <laughs> all form a wall. And they're blocking off.
1: <laughs> oh boy.
0: Now on the flip side of things. There are a couple people who have mentioned. That there is another side to this issue. That being... Saturday, for some people, appears to have not been that fun in the water park. And we're not just talking about normies here. We're talking about people who were also part of Colossal Con East. Talking about photographers taking up a lot of space. Cosplayers complaining about people walking into the photos. Taking up a lot of room, in particular, in the wave pools or in walkways. And it seems that some people are of the opinion that if this response was as extensive as indicated, it was in part due to the negative experience that other attendees at the water park were having.
1: Well, I mean, now that you mention it, uh, Streak ran into an issue, not at the water park, but at the convention center. Uh, the The hallways are pretty big in the convention center part of it, but a photographer had blocked off access completely one way uh, to Artist Alley With a photo shoot and no one was allowed in and out. So uh, I guess I could see there being problems in the water park because we were having problems in the convention center itself as well.
0: Was that the photo suite?
1: No, no, no. They were fine because they had their own stuff. But I guess some other photographer very temporarily set up something and blocked off that Uh, Because it was in the same space that the other photographer was already at. That they were already planned to be there the whole weekend. And they blocked off the remaining hallway space for a temporary photo shoot.
0: And there have been mentions that some people may have been bringing in some lighting equipment. Some heavy stuff into the water area. And potentially causing not only space blockage but potential safety issues when it comes to electronics potentially falling in water. So there is another potential side to the response from the Kalahari. Though, if everything we've heard so far approaches accuracy, it would seem like this was a very heavy-handed response to a smaller issue. In particular, since my understanding is on Sunday, the park isn't nearly as crowded as it was on Saturday.
1: I mean, I wasn't in there on Sunday. I was in the water park once for after hours on Saturday night. And it wasn't it wasn't crowded. there weren't really photographers anymore at the park, so I didn't actually see anybody taking photos at all. I don't even know if photography was allowed during the after hours portion.
0: That's a good point. One commentator on Twitter in particular seemed to got <laughs> catch a lot of heat when she suggested that. Part of the problem was she didn't want her kids being exposed to risque photo shoots
1: well this mentioning is a things long... like
0: exposure of skin and stiletto heels and you know all the good stuff
1: that was particularly the mother that people blamed solely for the actions of the Kalahari and now we're
0: not going to dogpile anyone so we're not no. going to share that information with you However, it is worth noting that there are one or two people who were particularly vocal and seem to have stirred up the controversy further at least on the Twitter sphere. What was really interesting to me about one of the responses that apparently got deleted, well, I should say the original tweet in question that Mm -hmm. then got deleted, was it featured uh, pictures of what she was talking about, but they appeared to be from Colossal Prime. I knew immediately because it was sunny.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. If you went to Colossal Con East this weekend or anywhere in Pennsylvania, you might have noticed not that kind of weather, really.
1: I actually, somebody made a funny meme about that. They said we should rename ourselves to Pencil rain Yeah, <laughs> I particularly enjoyed that one.
0: And it's interesting because they uh, some people were bringing up some stuff in a general commentary. Partly, I think it was partly the people who were offering that alternative viewpoint of why the Kalahari might have uh, been a little more heavy-handed. And a lot of it did connect to things that happened at Colossal Prime rather than at Colossal Con East, at least from what I saw. Uh, in particular, some people were talking about people taking pictures while on top of arcade machines, which did happen at Colossal Con Prime uh, in a few instances, and security had to be involved with that. Actually, there was an even bigger controversy at Colossal Con Prime because a group of people took it upon themselves to mount trucks in the parking lot that had been there uh, that the dealers had parked. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't actually in the parking lot was part of the problem. They had parked off in a field in order to open up some more spaces, but because they were much farther away that left open the trucks to the exposure of these people walking in, standing on top of the trucks and taking all sorts of creative photos and just generally kind of being douchebags. Now Colossal Con from what I understand has already taken uh, appropriate action in that case, whether or not, I honestly don't know where I'm going to fall on this. On the one hand, you have the possibility that the Kalahari was more than likely overstating the issue and acting in a way that was not only unhelpful to people who rightfully were allowed to be there, but also potentially, I don't know the terms of the contract, but potentially violating contracts with the con itself because the con was operating until 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So any expectation of what what was and was not allowed, dependent on the con's time, should have extended at least till five o'clock. If there were any special observations or rules about photography, apparently that was not, if that's not the case, it was certainly wasn't communicated to anyone who was attending, and apparently wasn't communicated to the con either. Now on the flip side, not only do we have the possibility that Classic con East specifically had crowding issues or photographers taking up space. This partly ties into a much wider issue that has been raised time and time again when it comes to cosplay photography. And wouldn't you know it, we're just going to hop right from Colossal Con East specifically into this broader topic. Because controversy. Controversy is delicious and amazing, and wouldn't you know it, we're just not going to avoid it. Something that a few people have mentioned in connection with Colossal Con East as well as other places is the professionalization of cosplay photography. What was for a long time an amateur thing, a hobbyist thing, has slowly become more and more professionalized. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with people charging to do photo shoots. There's nothing particularly wrong with wanting to do very well in your craft, very much appear like your character, or do creative photo shoots. I don't think either of us would argue differently. No. But there is something to be said about certain cons with very attractive venues drawing in all sorts of people. And that spectrum can also include people who do not have the right attitude, who can negatively impact the experience of other people. And that's when you have a problem, whether that's taking up half a hallway with your photo equipment, whether that's occupying a public space. And not allowing access to others, blocking walkways is my least favorite aspect of this entire deal. Mm-hmm. But there's also other ways that you can do it. You can break venue rules. You can disrupt the convention space itself. I know the Gaylord down for uh, down for Katsukana Magfest occasionally runs into that issue with people crawling into the fake bushes and stuff like that, which you're not supposed to do.
1: Uh, there's another one where uh, it. I believe you weren't paying attention during this particular incident at Kineticon. But we had somebody yell at us because she's in the big open area. And we happened to be walking <laughs> past. And God forbid she was taking her photo at the same time, shooting into like basically the crowd, and scream profanity at us as we were trying to leave the convention center.
0: That does not surprise me. I remember one incident in particular very similar to that at Katsukon where there was this co- female cosplayer perching on one of the over uh, the balconies down on the main floor. And like three floors up, this guy with a telephoto lens was taking her pictures. And I was just like, all right, first of all, why would you bother? And second of all, you're really hoping that no one walks in there and guess what? I'm walking.
1: Oh, uh, well, that's I mean, also- I make a
0: concerted effort not to interrupt... Photos in the general course of business, but there are limits to the inconvenience that I can tolerate for the sake of your photos.
1: Speaking about that, we forgot to mention that as part of the Colossal Con East controversy, where part of the problem, it sounds like the normies were having with the cosplayers, was the kids running in in the background of certain pictures and them not wanting their kids to show up in that those particular pictures. Now, of course, one... I don't think the photographer wants your kids in there and they're going to blur them out or try to, you know, cut them out of your your photos. But I don't think your normal normie understands a professional photographer isn't looking to photograph your little Johnny in his swimsuit.
0: And the other half of the equation in the the wider issue at hand. I don't know how better way to put it. Cosplay snobbery. Uh, some people... Occasionally complain about this in general. I don't see it that often in person. Though I hear a lot about it. And that is the attitude of cosplayers. Who are engaged in photo shoots in particular. Doesn't always come across as the most friendly. You've already mentioned it a couple times. I've had my own uh, own experience. That one time at come with the telephoto lens. Though that could just as easily have been the photographer. As the cosplayer. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot about cosplay elitism. You hear a lot about the toxicity of the community. Whether or not that is... Pr- the a mainstay of everyone's experience. I don't know, but it does appear that it ties into this issue. There's a sizable amount of the community that just doesn't like having to deal with constant con photography. It's different than it was in the early 2000s. I think I can recall my early con, my early con experiences, and there not being a huge number of people who had and. Who had professional photography equipment. If it wasn't a member of a news organization, it was a handful of hobbyists. And part of that part of the issue there was, of course, digital photography had only just started to catch up. So the people who were taking digital photos were were rank amateurs, people who were just posted onto like personal blog sites, if anywhere. Most people were still working with film. So by extension, you just don't have as much to work with if you don't want to shell out a lot of money. That's not true anymore. For a hundred bucks, you can have a very decent camera. My personal camera that I use right now for photography, if I do say so myself, I take halfway decent photos at times. That cost me less than a hundred bucks. So it's not as difficult to get into a level of photo taking that allows you to pursue a professional-like portfolio. I'm not saying that there aren't different levels of skill involved. I'm merely saying... That the technology curve has allowed people to make up for a lot of lack in training until you get to like the upper crust tier. Also, in general, there are just more professional photographers running around the con. It's just the way it is. Whether they're doing just photo shoot booking or whether they're taking photos for one of their projects. A lot of people have trained up to become professional photographers and see the cash cow, the business that is con photography. That's fine. It's just that... Well, the proliferation of it is causing problems because now we have a much higher density of it for a lot of people. It's not something that they're used to.
1: Well, see, my issue it comes with not just professionals, but some amateurs. When you you stop your favorite cosplayer in the dealer's room... It, oh,
0: oh, oh goodness. goodness. And, oh, I feel like that's a whole different subchapter. Yeah, Take, well, <laughs> guys, please stop taking photos in the dealer's room.
1: Or at least, I mean, the thing is, when it's a group voter, it becomes much more annoying than if it's just one or two people. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just taking this of a of a cosplayer. Now we have cells at work. I'm just going to, I, I'm not pointing out this as the whole fandom, but a lot of people are starting to do group cosplay of cells at work. Which is, I have noticed, a very easy cosplay to do. So a lot of people have been doing it now. And now you're taking photos in the dealer's room. And we had somebody block off the entire traffic to people's dealer's tables, which you're interrupting sales flow now at that point when you're disrupting an entire hallway. so I'm going
0: to say, even before uh, we started having tables in artist alleys and dealers or in the whole hallway, depending on which con we're at. I never thought it was really okay to just seek out photography in the dealers room. I mean, I get it guys. You're not able to make it to photo shoots all the time. You don't always find people that you're looking for in the hallway. So an incidental photo or two is fine. What doesn't seem to me to be okay is to put people in a position where they literally have to wait for you to be done to get by. And You certainly shouldn't seek to do photo shoots in the dealer's room or the artist alley or really anywhere where you are creating a choke point in traffic. It's not only disingenuous, it's potentially a safety hazard if anything goes wrong. So you really should try to avoid it whenever possible.
1: In summation, you should definitely make sure that you're not choking traffic and you're not disrupting the flow to the dealers as well. That The dealer's room is for dealing, not photo shoots.
0: And No matter where you are, please try not to make other people's con experience terrible in order to make yours better. This is the part where we're going to feature a fine, expensive, delicious product. I hope you've gotten used to this because you might see a few more of them in the future. I think this might be the last one we do for a while in a row. We'll see.
1: I hope so. <laughs>
0: What we have for you today is another offering from the fixings category, for lack of a better word, Lester's and Melba's. The flavors we have for you today are key lime pie.
1: And sweet corn.
0: I hope you're all very excited about this. I know I am.
1: I know I'm not. Mm. Oh my. This smells smells delicious. (laughs) This smells like If you ever have canned corn and you open it and you smell it before dumping the juice, it smells just like that.
0: It really does (laughs) smell like canned corn. Maybe it tastes like corn, too. All right. Ready?
1: Yep. Of course. Why wouldn't I just spill it on myself, too?
0: Good job making a mess. Oh my god! So the key lime, huh? Mm. I don't know. For me, the key lime mostly tastes like a vaguely limey sugar water. It's not hugely impressive to me. Maybe that's where the pie aspect comes in with the cream and stuff. Are oh, you all right there, Roxy? I'm gonna try this other one here.
1: <laughs> mine tastes like mine tastes like if um it, it somebody tried to make corn soda. And you can taste the corn, but it also tastes like they tried to mix cream soda in there. It is a cream corn soda. I
0: mean, it does say sweet corn. Oh. Made in the USA, pure cane sugar. Here we go.
1: Here we go. (laughs) Well, I'm just not having any luck with sodas today.
0: It is so weird to have a soda that actually tastes like corn. I see what you mean about the cream pa- aspect. But no, yeah. This might be the most accurate soda we've had so far. It <laughs> kind of tastes like corn.
1: The key lime is actually not bad.
0: Well, you can finish it then. I,
1: like, if I had to drink a soda from Lester's Fixings and Lester's This one's or from Melba. Melba. Or Lester's and Melba. If I had to drink one of their fixing drinks, I would drink the key lime. It's not bad.
0: We're going right into our next segment, The List of the Week. This week's list comes from Rockstar. Take it away.
1: Well, since we have BoJack coming season five this September, I decided to make it the top five BoJack episodes. According to Roxy. Because of that, I'm also going to put, spoiler warning... If you have not watched BoJack, go watch that wonderful alcoholic and depressed horse.
0: Only if you want to be depressed.
1: Well, it's a depressive comedy.
0: What a concept.
1: It's really good. Go watch that. But moving right along, going straight into my... Todd
0: episode. We're going to get more Todd episodes, I'm convinced.
1: You know, it's unfortunate I just realized there are no Todd episodes. There is one Todd episode on here.
0: Alright, go ahead.
1: Alright. So for my first pick, it comes from season one, episode six. Our story is a D story. It's that episode where BoJack and Mr. Peanut Butter get into a petty competition over the over wooing Diane. And this episode pretty much ends up changing the whole show. From little things like Hollywoo. Because of the de-stealing. To establishing the fact that Diane will eventually leave Mr. Peanut Butter Because he will never learn that Diane needs Diane things to be romanced.
0: And it's really interesting that you phrase it that way too. Because I feel like this might have been the point too that is being referenced. When we talk about how certain websites had to revise their reviewing policies for television shows. Because if you actually look at the reviewing history of BoJack Horseman, there were actually several negative reviews when it first came out. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was a lot of people had only watched about the first half of the season before they wrote the review. Since BoJack Horseman changes dramatically about halfway through the first season to give you a much different feel of what you were expecting, several websites have subsequently revised their policies to require you watch the entire season before you submit your review. Now, that's an experience that I myself can empathize with, because I watched the first three episodes of BoJack Horseman over the course of a couple months, and I did not know how I felt about it at all. Then I suddenly pushed through it, and oh my word, what a change. And that's how Rockstar ended up watching BoJack Horseman.
1: Yep, and then I marathoned it, and I just, I can't get enough. So, just know that I'll be marathoning season five. So, it's going to be good. Number two. Number two. It's from season two, episode five. It's the episode called Chickens. If you don't remember this episode, it's a little Todd episode where he goes on an adventure with a roared up chicken who's supposed to be, you know, chopped up and, uh, grinded for food. They go on this like little whirlwind adventure and there's a lot of morals to it. But then it just boils down to the moral of the story is you have to have money to solve a problem because Bojack ends up coming in and solving everything because he had money.
0: It also raises really interesting conundrum questions about the nature of the society in which they live.
1: I originally had the other episode from this season, Hank's episode with Diane, where they also have another moral conundrum. It's a Bill Cosby kind of episode but that one's a lot more serious a lot more dark so if you're really in the dark and brooding like that one's an interesting episode but I kind of wanted this one as an uplifting because it's mostly comedy and so one of the characters boils down to the more of the story is have lots of money the next episode on my list is That's too much man. Season 3 episode 11. This one is definitely major spoilers and I'm really happy. Originally Sarah Lynn was supposed to die in season 1 but they pushed the death off to season 3 and that was an amazing decision on the writing staff because it hits you that much harder. Bojack and Sarah Lynn go on how many months, Bender? It was like three or four months. A long
0: time. It was a
1: very long Bender. And you're getting splashes of it because Bojack's in and out the whole time. And it culminates with Sarah Lynn's passing. Which, at the end of the day, affects Bojack greatly. Uh, Basically, until this very season, it's still affecting him. So... It has one of the biggest punches in the show. And if you haven't cried by this point, you will cry with Sarah Lynn's passing.
0: It also contains one of the biggest bullshit moments in the series, though.
1: What part are you referencing specifically?
0: I'm talking about the part where he chases down. Oh, man, I'm going to forget all the characters names. It's been so long. He chases down uh, his ex-Flame's daughter to apologize for what he did.
1: Okay, yeah, that that's And this then episode. she completely
0: misinterprets it. Mhm. And then I was sitting there and was just like, "Wow, you ho."
1: Well,
0: I mean, I, don't get me wrong, yeah, he's the adult in the relation in the 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 potential relationship, relationship. there, but I mean, Come on. Don't act like you weren't purposefully. Oh, you know what? It's not even that. It's not even the age driven. It's, it's the part where she goes, I know what I want. Oh?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Mm hmm. And, and, I mean, I always felt bad for Bojack because of people judging him because of that, because he denied her like three times almost.
0: He was just like G- Peter and Jesus. But then the cock crowed.
1: Literally. Anyways. Demonetized! <laughs> moving on! <laughs> moving on! Uh, My next pick is Ruthie, Season 4, Episode 9. This is the episode that kind of threw me for a loop when I first watched it. Because it starts off like in the d- very, very distant future... And we're seeing a descendant of Princess Carolyn, and she's talking about the worst day in Princess Carolyn's life.
0: I remember this now. Okay.
1: And then you get to the end, and you realize none of it ever happened because it's Princess Carolyn's coping method- mechanism. This is the episode that I cannot get through without crying. <laughs> Mostly because it's been established by this point that she has a fertility issue and she desperately wants to have kids. And I thought when I first watched it, it hit me so hard. When I first watched it, I thought, oh, well, at least she gets what she wants at the end. And to find out it was all her coping mechanism, just I had to pause and walk away. But this is such a good episode because of the emotional punch at the end.
0: All right. Last one.
1: Last one is Fish Out of Water season 3 episode 4. This is an episode that will get right to the heart of things without saying a word. For the until most the, part. For, until the very end. It's
0: just like that movie The Artist.
1: It's very pretty. I have to I have to tell you that. It's a very beautifully animated episode. But it's about Bojack essentially going down Underwater to uh, what are they? What what's the pun name that they give it?
0: Oh man, why are you asking me about names? <laughs> I haven't watched the show in months.
1: Oh, oh I can't remember. But, but he goes down to a major underwater city, and he's promoting his movie. Secretariat. basically, he gets into a lot of misadventures, especially because he doesn't realize he can speak. It's very beautiful. When well, he, he
0: can't because he never bothers to try to turn on the, the speakerphone. Speaker phone.
1: <laughs> but that's what I mean he doesn't realize he can speak so you have two plot points going around this this uh particular one that's very that makes the in, the particular episode very interesting you have the lost seahorse child that he is trying desperately to return to his father at the end of the day when he finally does return the child over to the father he's not comfortable saying goodbye he kind of just walks away and at the same time, he's also trying to make amends with uh, the, the ex-director of Secretariat, uh, Kelly. Can't find the words, can't communicate to her. When he finally does, and he actually has this very beautiful letter that he writes her that I actually have as my wallpaper. Basically, it's water. Ink doesn't stick to paper down there. And so she doesn't understand, and they just move on. I don't know, that part particularly gets to me because it was a very moving thing and then he just never talks to her again because he's just too upset about not being able to get this message across about how upset he is that he didn't get into contact with her at all. And I can understand that as someone who is a bit socially inept and socially awkward. It is a it is the best, in my opinion, episode of BoJack Westman.
0: Well, that's a stretch. What? I don't think it is.
1: What is your favorite then, Panda? Uh, I'd have
0: to give it some thought. I wasn't the one who wrote this list. I mean, your selections are all quite nice. I'll give you that. Oh, that's a good question. What is my favorite episode of BoJack Horseman? You know what it probably is?
1: Mm.
0: You know what I think the problem is? There's so many good moments in BoJack that happen and then I feel like there's like this unresolved question that the writers just lay out for you and they never come back to. Mm -hmm. And I'm I don't know. Like, I feel like those are my favorite moments in BoJack. I don't think necessarily stick in the best episodes. For example, at the end of season one, where he's at the Ghostwriter Convention and he asks Diane if she thinks he's a good person, and we never actually get an answer.
1: Yep. It's things like that
0: um, that really impress impress upon me, and yet they're left as an open question throughout the whole show so far. I was a pretty big fan of the episode where he has that uh, issue with his ex and he goes home on the boat.
1: Oh, oh, that yeah! that was
0: one of my personal favorites.
1: Well, I mean, I still have another favorite that I didn't even make it to the list. The other favorite is the episode that is basically all flashbacks for Bojack's mother
0: ah, because okay. he's
1: taking her to the nursing home because of all the, uh, shit that she did to his sister that is another favorite not because of the animation or anything like that for me it's a wonderful look because as a psychology major it's such a wonderful look into dementia and the way that they portray it from her from Beatrice's uh, point of view is just it's beautiful all the plot points are amazing it's the one that gets me because at the end Bojack is still kind of torn, because when she finally recognizes that it's Bojack with her, he kind of just leads her into another one of those fantasies, and then, uh, you know, oh, we're eating ice cream on back in our sugar man home. And then just walks off and locks the key behind her.
0: I thought it was really interesting how there aren't really any villains in that story.
1: Well, it's more like real life. Everything's always shades of gray.
0: I mean, you could certainly, and I'm sure many people do feel that there's certainly uh, something to be said about the, what a terrible person his uh, BoJack's grandfather is. But I, I noticed that in a one particular review I read in a newspaper once for BoJack that they touched on that, and I think I agree that. I don't think that he was necessarily acting out of malice. Uh-huh. I don't think he did anything to intentionally hurt his family. That's just the attitude that he had adopted. He thought that it was going to be okay. And at the time, that happened to be what people thought would make pe- everything okay. I don't think that he intended to hurt his wife and basically turn her into a human vegetable. Clearly, he
1: didn't. No. But then the same thing can be said of me- Beatrice. Well, because yeah. of... Her upbringing, she didn't know how she was going to handle BoJack. She didn't know how she was going to handle her husband.
0: Her communist writer. Her husband. <laughs> I think it's one of my favorite. Like, in a very serious episode that's almost like a little bit of, just a little bit of a silver lining of a dark humor. It's like, oh, yeah, my dad, the communist writer.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, the other episode, the one episode that every time I feel bad about myself, I go and watch is the episode cl- titled You're a Piece of Shit. Where it's literally Bojack and there's like cartoony Bojack, you're a piece of shit. Why are you at the bar? And he's just constantly, don't eat that cookie. Why are you still eating the cookie?
0: I can't believe you ate that cookie.
1: And then, and then his sister asks him, hey, I have a little voice in my head that is always telling me off. Like that goes away, right? That's just a stupid teenage thing. And instead of, Being his usual morbid, pessimistic asshole self, he tells her, yeah, it goes away.
0: Oh, yes, it does.
1: And I don't know. Just drink
0: a little more and it'll go.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It always gives me like, I don't know, butterflies in my stomach. Like, oh, Bojack, you're trying to be sweet, even though that's kind of an asshole move, too. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot of good Bojack episodes.
0: All right, we've transgressed enough on this list. Let's move on, shall we? Yes. Hopping into our final discussion topic for the evening, we are going to be talking about ghosting. Now, if you're not familiar with the term ghosting, it describes a spectrum of behaviors that people assign to the term that potentially negatively impact a convention. I'll start with the most extreme and go to the most mild form. The most extreme form of ghosting would be, as an example, people going into a convention and enjoying the experiences that the convention has to offer without getting a badge of any kind. This could include anything from being just super sneaky, going through the halls, or, you know, we've heard of this, though. I don't think I've ever actually seen a confirmable case in practice. People uh, pirating badges, as in, like, actually... Getting a hold of the design or scanning the badge and making a fake one, you hear that you hear countermeasures for this all the time with like foil stickers and things mm-hmm. like that. But to be perfectly honest, I've never actually heard of anyone counterfeiting a badge, but that is described as the most extreme form of ghosting. You're actually at the con like an attendee, but you're not supposed to be there because you have no legal access to a badge. Half a step down from that, you have what's called badge sharing. There might be, you might be part of a group. One or two people in your hotel room have obtained a badge. You don't, but then you use their badge to access a part of the convention, an event that you want to go to, you want to grab an autograph from someone, or you just want to hit the dealer's room, the artist alley. That's probably the most common form of ghosting across all forms of Mm -hmm. conventions. That's not limited to any particular convention. I imagine that it has happened in several cases. Next step down from that is participating in stuff surrounding the convention that is understood to be part of the convention experience without buying a badge. You see this mostly at conventions that have an outside space that's associated with the convention that you don't need a badge to get into. Particularly... Con venues that are attached to hotels or that are in an urban area and have ready access to a lot of other things around it So you would probably see this most of funny story I actually did an informal poll of this through a couple different reddits to try to find out Why people ghost and what cons they ghost at? Common examples might be places like colossal con which has a huge hotel venue that you do not need a badge to access It's a resort by its very nature and in some cases, though, I think they finally stopped this at Colossal Prime. But you could theoretically still do it at Colossal East. You could obtain a day pass to the water park. Mm-hmm. The water park where all your all these cosplayers and stuff are going to be at without buying a convention badge. In certain cases, you still needed a convention badge to get the late night access at Colossal East. Then you also have places like Katsukan, where the Gaylord is essentially a publicly accessible space. Not a public space, but a publicly accessible one. And there isn't anyone who's going to try to stop you from accessing the shops and the atrium or the lobby of the convention if you don't have a badge. There are people who pro- who I've been, I've been led to believe show up without even being at a hotel down in National Harbor. They're just showing up to be involved in the lobby or perhaps go to a con party. And that's actually where the final one in the spectrum comes into play. This is something that I do not agree personally should be considered ghosting. But a number of people who are very, very convinced about how bad ghosting is feel feel that this is included. If you happen to live in the area and friends of yours come into the area to attend a convention and you go see them, that cat has been called ghosting by some people too. Even if it has nothing to do with the convention space the associate activities, if you go to lunch with them, I've heard that that's been called ghosting. So if you live in Baltimore back in the day when Odecon was in Baltimore, and your friends come into Baltimore to go to Oticon, and you have lunch with them, that's apparently considered ghosting to some people. I, don't I think feel that like that's, that's stretching that's,
1: it. Yeah, that that's not at all.
0: But I have seen people claim that, so I'm throwing it in there.
1: Okay.
0: So there's part of the personal opinion aspect of this discussion topic. I already think that that doesn't really count. But there are other behaviors that I've already described here on that spectrum that quickly meet the definition of ghosting. The idea in my mind is, are you doing something that would normally require you to purchase a badge? And is that behavior that you're doing indirectly costing the convention money? Perhaps not even directly costing the the convention money as it would in the most extreme case of just sneaking into the convention space. But is it indirectly costing the money because you're gaining all the benefits of the convention without having purchased a badge? That that really is the question. Where do we draw the line with with where that really is a problem for the con versus it's not such a big deal for the con? I feel like the Mm -hmm. first two are pretty straightforward. If you are accessing a part of the convention, whether it's not having a badge or taking someone else's badge, you are depriving the con of money. And that's mm-hmm. a pretty shitty thing to do. I think a much grayer area is when you are participating in outside activities that come as a result of the convention. A lot of people talk about that. And it's probably the most common problem by volume for conventions. But it also, in my uh, mind, I think it mostly affects particular types of conventions. As a, as I mentioned earlier. Probably Colossal Con and Katsukon are the ones most affected by that type of ghosting. The idea that people are showing up for parties. Right. They're showing up, to, in some cases, to take photos in the atrium because that's not a badged area. They're, they're just they're showing up to take pictures. I've heard of some cosplayers not buying badges to the con and just showing up to do photo shoots because Katsukon is the con to do it at.
1: Well, I feel at that point, if you're a cosplayer and you're going to take advantage of the photo, photo photographers uh at the atrium you should at least get a badge
0: i guess part of the problem is that you could argue for example let's just continue using the gaylord as the as the vehicle of uh of test betting here you could argue that any other time of the year when Katsukan wasn't around you could just show up and do do a photo shoot it wouldn't be against the rules. Right. Someone else might be involved in the space. In particular, the infamous gazebo. Mm-hmm. Someone else might have control of that space. But in general, you technically can show up whenever you want. It just is more convenient to do it during a con because of other things. And I think that's where a lot of cons are really hitting on the note. Now, there's only so much you can do for the two lightest versions of ghosting that I've described. Obviously, standard security procedures and, to a certain extent, badge verification systems can guard against the first two. Right. But it's the part of where you're not even going near the con, the actual badged area of the con, that you're essentially losing potential customers. And I think where that comes in uh, is that part of the discussion where we talk about what cons can do about it. In my mind, the most important thing is to... Alright, I'm not going to... I don't want to victim blame here. Not going to. Everyone has to make the decision whether or not they're going to go to the con. And the con has a limited amount of control over that decision-making process. But there are, in my professional opinion, which I have. I have a (laughs) professional opinion here. There are things that cons can do, I think... To promote the idea that buying a badge is worth your time. Yeah. And whether that's making certain events more appealing, whether that's, uh, in my personal opinion, making your programming so good that you just can't resist but go. Really, that's what it boils down to in general. Whether it's the type of guests you're bringing in or some musical acts that you're bringing in. In many cases, cons are able to provide you entertainment and other types of content that you'd be paying out the butt for any other time. And it's bringing those types of, for lack of a better word, attractions into your con badge spaces that is going to be the most likely way. It's the best that the con can do. Now, when a con is on on the top of the tier there, when they're doing everything they can for their programming track for their guest lineup, for what is available to anyone who holds a badge, then there's really not much else you can do. And it really is just on the the potential attendees at that point to to pull the trigger and make that decision. But in many cases, and I don't know if this is really true anymore, but I've been to several cons in the past that weren't really meeting that criteria. There was so much going on that was problematic and less going on that was positive that i i don't want to say that i i would have done it because i wouldn't i'm not someone who really feels like ghosting is a productive way to be a fan but you're also not selling your service and that's what it is i think that's part of the problem with a lot of cons today is that they don't realize that what we're offering at this point is basically a service there are old school conventions out there that still use the membership mentality, the participation mentality, as the basis of their entire event. But that is no longer the norm. Many private corporations are now involved in the convention community. Many people are into the convention community with a profit motive or the expectation of a particular return on investment. Very few conventions of any real size are the old style membership anymore. Technically, Katsukan follows that model. Otakon follows that model, but even they have had to deal with the the change in the environment for the convention scene, and so that's one of the things that directly ties into our own philosophy as a group here at Manly Battleships is the idea of facilitating the change in in the environment, offering you a programming service that you can then market as part of the appeal of buying the badge. There's stuff that you can't get anywhere else. There's stuff that I could get in line and I can get a sizable chunk of my badge worth back, my return on the investment of buying that badge by seeing this or going to this or, or experiencing it. I think that we're part of that solution and I think that a lot of other non-traditional guests are part of that solution. Musical acts, stage acts, comedians, the ones that haven't retired, lectures like charles dunbar all of it so if not to toot my own horn any more than i already have here but i think there are a lot of ways that conventions can improve the appeal of their event across the board and in the meantime all the rest of us can do is try to work and appeal to the attitude of people who don't actually want to be at the convention they just want to benefit from the existence of the convention and we do not think that is fair so let's all work together to try to improve that situation.
1: Well, because uh, just to bring up the entertainment and how important it is, like if you don't have panels that are entertaining and you go to a convention, and you're like, I really don't want to go see any of this stuff. Why is it worth me buying a badge? Or sometimes something will look entertaining. And as there was a rumor, there are rumors of this happening where people will badge up, will do a do a panel for a convention for a badge and then literally just show up or not even bother to show up to the panel because the panel wasn't the part of what they wanted it's this uh they wanted to take advantage of the convention for a badge now some people may only be able to do that for one year because you'll get blacklisted for the convention but If you're doing, if one person does it to like Zenkai Khan and then runs runs off and does it to Katsukan, you're going to have a serial,
0: a serial badge offender.
1: Thank you. A serial badge offender going around all the conventions. And it's going to be either a year or more than that of them just doing that over and over again. And that kind of puts panelists who take this seriously or professional panelists like us in a bad light that we're just doing this for a badge. We're doing this because we love to entertain.
0: Now, that being said, it's actually interesting that you mention this. So, first, of what, first thing I want to say is that there's nothing wrong with doing a panel to get a badge.
1: Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm not trying to.
0: And but... we, don't, we don't want to say that either just because I'm trying to think here. In my ideal world, 70% of the panels done at cons are done by amateur panelists. And that's really what the incentive is yeah. when you're an amateur panelist is getting the free badge. So, that's not what we're talking about here. But now that you mention it, that's almost its own form of ghosting.
1: Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I, I'm talking I about ghosting the is. panel.
0: Yeah, I don't know how common it really is. Now, I, I've i seen no shows in the past for lots of panels, but I I don't want to go out on a limb here and say that it's so common that it's actually a, a problem. Because I, I can't imagine, what, like you said, that there are bunch of these people running around constantly getting their badge and then not showing up to the con- uh, not showing up to the panel but still going to the con I that posing, of course would be a ghost to- i w-
1: I was posing a hypothetical that they're going from convention to convention. I don't think that's actually happening, but yeah. I know that at least one or two people will ghost the panel just to get the badge from the convention. And that's not fair to the convention. That's not fair to the people going it's to the fraud. convention. It's and just it's, saying. It's fraud. Yeah, it's fraud. <laughs> it's fraud for the convention. It's fraud for the people going to the convention. And it's not right. But never think that I am saying that a person who's a bad panelist doing it for the first time, doing it just for a badge, is wrong. Everybody's first panel, or even a few panels, are going to be Bad, you know, it just happens. It comes with the territory you kind of learn as you go. That's why Panelists united is is there if you wanted to do uh, maybe if you want to just do one panel and you want to do it, you know, good, you can go to Panelists United. Well, we have people there who will talk you through it. um But yeah,
0: my only concern is like when we talk about it is, you know, I don't want to set the, I don't want to lead people to, to the expectation that it's somehow super common because I mean, I, I guess, co- I've never been led to believe that cons really sh- readily share this information with anyone outside the the con-runners like, I doubt groups. it. Uh, that would be really helpful, by the way, for us that do fandom research, if you would share some of that data. Hint, hint. But no, I don't, I don't think I would want to ever leave anyone with the impression that it's so common that it's worth talking about beyond the theoretical because I really don't think that it is. I can't imagine that there's enough people who are grabbing badges and not showing up to their panels to the extent that it's hurting the con's finances.
1: No. And I also don't want to put it into light. Like, if you have an emergency and have to run off before your panel, I'm I'm also not talking about those people. I'm strictly talking about people who literally say put in a panel for a badge and then just don't do the panel at all. And are at the con. So that no That is the key issue there. Yeah. Yeah,
0: if you showed up to the con but didn't go to your panel, I mean, what what are you even doing? So in summary, the biggest aspect of the ghosting problem that we've identified are people who are doing badge sharing and, in many cases, people who are participating in outside activities that are the result of the convention without buying a badge. The best thing that we can hope to do is to slowly work on people's attitudes and simultaneously Increase the appeal of the convention, both through our own efforts and by encouraging additional changes in how conventions do their programming lineup. That's the philosophy here at Manly Battleships. Now we enter into the final segment here at Abdul's and Drunkards. That's pretty cool. Today's That's Pretty Cool comes from yours truly, Mr. Panda. I'm going to be talking to you about a nice wide rabbit hole involving the author, Orson Scott Card. If you're not already familiar with Card's work, what are you even doing? You're almost certainly not a science fiction fan if you haven't read at least one of his books or if you don't know what he's written. He's most well known for his books in the so-called Enderverse, the most important of which is Ender's Game, and the equally good Speaker for the Dead. Despite his long and glorious history in science fiction, That's not the only thing he's ever done. He actually started out as a playwright, but the aspect of his career that I'm going to focus on today, that's pretty cool, is a little known part of his screenplay writing career. So this isn't his playwriting, this isn't his fiction novels, which span a whole wide range of things. No. I'm going to be talking about a series that he wrote for that was animated back in the late 80s and early 90s. There's a possibility that some of you are familiar with it, even if you don't remember the name. But more than likely, most of you aren't that familiar with it. It's called Animated Stories from the New Testament. I can see the confusion on Rockstar's face already. (laughs) Now, it's interesting because he actually worked on another series that predated this called The Animated Book of Mormon.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: But that's... That's not as important as this. The animated stories from the New Testament is something that was a very, a very uh, kind of big sticking point for me in my childhood after I came back from Germany.
1: Of course, it was.
0: Well, here's the thing: if you were a mem raised in the Christian community, in particular, uh, independent Bible or Baptist church, churches, there's a good chance that you might have run into these tapes. Were marketed heavily uh, through the church community. Throughout the 1990s. When you know, home VHS was a big deal. And there's this really interesting story. That deals with just a couple of them. That I'm going to go into. Because they're connected to Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card wrote. The, the screenplays. For the first six episodes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the reason this is tied into his career. Is because he, he's a Mormon. And he's. Taken opportunities throughout his career. To do things that are connected to his faith or that are beneficial to the mission of the, La- of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And after the animated Book of Mormon, originally, the, the series was actually being pitched by the company as uh, a bit for the Church of Latter-day Saints. But for some reason, that didn't really get picked up by the community of the Latter-day Saints Church. So they actually changed tactic after the initial production, And marketed these as a general tape to the Christian community. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the one I like to highlight in particular is, I think, the third one in the series called He is Risen. This is actually, I think, the one that, if you were just to select people at random in a crowd, this is the one that is most likely people have seen. It tells uh, the story of Easter immediately following the crucifixion. there's the story of the resurrection, Jesus comes back from the dead, and then eventually at the end of the story ascends into heaven. What's really interesting for me about the He is Risen one is I have very vivid memories of watching it as a kid. Like, this is something that actually plays into a lot of different things that I've subsequently watched as a kid. And it's just, oh yeah, I can quote these lines word for word not only can i quote them i know exactly how they the actors sound intonation and everything it's this this ridiculous aspect that um my sister has harped on more than once because sometimes in different movies they'll go back and change voice actors or they'll change lines if you watch an american tale on netflix there's a scene with fivol when he runs into these like other street urchins where they went back and changed the the dialogue and have completely new voice actors. Why? And there's no documented reason for why that happened, but I've given you an example. The ADR, the dubbing of animation, frequently involves changes in the production later on in different versions or new DVD releases. He is Risen is an example of this, and that's the reason why I was first made aware of Orson Scott Card's involvement, because I found a DVD copy of he is risen, and I just remembered it being this ridiculously well animated two D two anim- uh, D show from back in the day, and it really is like I'm. Where did they get the money to throw at this? So I went back and watched it, and there was something weird about the dialogue in my favorite scene, which involves Pontius Pilate. The voice acting in this cartoon is just insanely well-characterized for me as an enthusiast. And as as soon as I got through that scene, I was like, that didn't sound right. And so I had to go through this entire process of tracking down someone who had scanned the movie in from the VHS tape, and lo and behold, I was right. They changed the dialogue. So I started looking for reasons why this happened. And as it turns out, I actually found it. A documentable source as to why they changed it. What happened was when they wrote this, again, it was originally pitched for the Latter-day Saints Church. And Orson Scott Card was involved. And Orson Scott Card is a fiction writer. He's a dramatist. He is actually pretty decent at writing dialogue. And the the original dialogue version is something that we would call not text accurate to the new testament it's dramatized Mm -hmm. there's there's new dialogue that you're obviously not going to see in the bible version and here's the thing while the company that originally made it which incidentally nest also made the swan princess the series was directed by richard rich really yep Here's the thing about which, is, which, in my opinion, explains the the weirdly high quality value of this random right. church animation.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, there's this ongoing controversy in part of the Christian community between the slightly more orthodox individuals versus more contemporary, uh, liberal Christians, and this issue of textbook accuracy, for lack of a better word, comes up every now and then with the older school, uh, old school Christians. And this show was a victim of that because I forget what company it's co- is. I think it's fo- uh, fa- a Family Focus or something like that. W- bought the rights to the show wholesale,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like it was transferred out from the its original publisher to this new company. And because they have a slightly low opinion of the LDS Church, they thought they were of the opinion that the story, as it was depicted in the in in uh, the video. And I think one scene in particular with the appearance of angels apparently implies certain doctrinal thing, doctrinal philosophies from the LDS church that differ from mainstream, cre- mainstream Christianity. They actually went back and redubbed a whole lot of things to make it, li- like, instead of taking the dramatic liberties that Orson Scott Card took, they changed it to be Accurate. To the to the biblical text, and in particular, the reason I got so upset is because the Pontius Pilate scenes are just really well written in their original form, and they change it back to like to. to and I I don't know if they got completely different actors or if they might have got some of the same actors to come back and redo some of the lines. There's parts where I can tell that it's a different actor, mm-hmm. and then with Pontius Pilate, I can't actually tell if it's a new voice actor. Or if it's just the same actor who came back later and redid the lines. I do know that at least one individual in the cast, the gentleman who played Jesus, uh, has passed on. But uh, I can't speak for any of the other guys because the guy who did Pontius Pilate, who was like really good. Like I really liked his characterization of the uh, and depiction there. Apparently he hasn't really done anything else. That's the only thing he did as an actor. <laughs> so that was a really deep rabbit hole that I took you down. But that's the summation there for you. There's this show called The Animated Stories from the New Testament, which has gone on and has been progressing still. Really, the first six episodes are the ones that I like to focus on because they are animated by Nest, they were directed by Richard Rich, and they were written by Orson Scott Card. It's this really fascinating footnote to animation history that no one seems to know anything about because it's considered niche. It's part of that, you know, Christian filmography stuff that no one really wants to watch if you're uh Secular, I guess, would be the lack of term. But if you haven't seen it, you're missing out on this really, in a number of ways, really well done animation. If you can skip over the fact that this deals with a religious doctrine issue, it's this beautiful piece. And it's really a shame that they, um, they've subsequently released an HD remaster. I They have a couple clips on their company YouTube, but it doesn't have the original audio because of their... Doctrinal philosophies and censorship issues, and it's just hugely disappointing to me as an individual that the original work of of a of a writer, you know, this is was his part of his art, uh, got mangled in that way because it really takes away part of my original viewing experience. But, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you feel the same way I do—that that is pretty cool. I wowed rock star at least.
1: I it just was very interesting.
0: And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of our time here for this week's episode. If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy this series, if you saw us at Colossal Con East or at one of the conventions in the future, we hope that you will continue to sit with us on these long, ever-cooling nights, perhaps with a glass in your hand. Because, you see, here at the podcast, there are not any duelists, but there are Plenty of drunkards. I'm Mr. Padma.
1: And I'm Rockstar.
0: See you next time.
1: Bye bye.